Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. We're going to answer some of the questions that we asked, which is, are you sick of all this? Are you, do you find that Trudeau has cleaned himself up and he's good now? He gets to go on vacation, wash his hands of it. Uh, Which way does this land for you and the we testimony from today? Before we get into all of the things of the big lead, let's go to Niagara Falls and talk to John first. Hi, John. Hey, Shane. How you doing? I'm I'm just tired of uh, hearing all this stuff about Trudeau, like uh, time after time. It's always something new with a guy. Like, he, he's lied so many times. I'm just tired of that. Like, I liked when you uh, talked about the uh, segment that you had previously with the Mars. Now, that's fantastic stuff. But with yeah. Trudeau, I'm, I'm just so tired of it. I, 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 just don't, I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, I get that. And I appreciate your honesty with that, John. I, not to spite you, but we did promise we would give the updates. So just so you know, I will give the update. I don't want you to think yeah. that I'm doing it to spite you. But the, um, you know, are you are you sick of hearing about it as much as you're just disappointed in the way it's gone on? Because what I hear and what you're saying is I hear that you're so disappointed on it. Now you just kind of want to run and hide from it. And I don't blame you. I'm kind of the same way. I feel. The yeah, same. yeah. Like, uh, I, I'm just tired. Like, uh, when I, uh, Heard uh, saw on uh, the the TV that uh, oh he apologized he apologized for getting caught like what's going to be the next thing that uh, he he's going to apologize well I'm going to get caught yeah. for for another thing like uh, yeah. like in, enough's enough with with Trudeau like he, he's he, he he's a drama teacher he's not a politician like well, look at we you know, elected him though like that's yeah. the thing right I mean yeah. Canada, Canada elected him, and you know if if there was election based on polling today, liberals would win again. It's yeah, I know it's, it's, because conservatives don't have a a, a leader right now. Like uh, yeah. it's 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 incredible. Like no one has any organization right now. Conservatives aren't are, don't have a leader. Uh, NDP, like what's Jack mean? Uh, he 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 just wants to you know get his face put on TV. Well, I would and, I would go the other way on that one. I sorry to step on you there, John. Just before you moved on, I wanted to say that I mean I think Jug Meat. I mean him and I, if we ever sat down to coffee, I'm pretty sure we would disagree on 99 out of 100 things. But I, that dude's a leader. I mean he he rallies those those folks that are fans of that party. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But like I said, I'm just uh, tired of Trudeau. Like uh, yeah. just just to listen to, to his BS all the time. Like it, it, it's uh, I I I just want to see see what's go- I I just want to hear more stuff about you know how how are we going to get the better days? Because right yeah. now it's it's terrible right now. Like we're barely able to survive uh, COVID right now, and I'm lucky I'm still working. But I see everybody else around me like with no jobs. Like we're barely making it as a country right now. I don't yeah. know. And he's going on vacation for two weeks. So that's so I guess that's yeah. good. So yeah. he tells you what, here's what here's what we can look forward to for tonight for you, John. I'll take this opportunity to share what's coming up. Uh, we're going to follow up on the Zamboni trip, uh, the fundraiser that was going on in Alberta. Uh, we've that got a story about a, a family that. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk to Chris again today. Um, and then we've got, uh, you know, a family, their house burned down, but there's their communities rallied around them. So there's good oh, stories there. Terrible. 
yeah, it is terrible. And we're going to hear that story. Plus, we got Steve Stebbin coming up. So there is more other than just this. So thanks for hanging in there, bud. Great, great. Hey, sorry to bother you tonight like this. I just tried to no. say something about Trudeau. I don't, it's not a bother, John, man. This is the conversation. This is the real stuff. I mean, we can be as smart as we want to talk about, you know, this political thing or that political thing. But to me, John, this is the real conversation. If you're tired of it and you want to tell me that, I appreciate it. Uh, that's that's cool. what it's all about. Yeah, uh, hey, thanks for having me on. And uh, uh, I, I love your show, man. Like, you know, like you... you, you your, the whole ship thing has entertained me to, since uh, Drex started. I'm entertained right now. So, hey, thanks for for the last night. Okay, I'll awesome. talk to you later, man. Bye. Right on, John. Bye-bye. 877-399-9898. Uh, first, it was the Kielbergers. Today, it was the Prime Minister's turn. Justin Trudeau coolly faced the uh, the Finance Committee. Coolly? Coolly. Coolly. Chris, what is coolly? Coolly faced. As in, you know, he did it. He 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 did it in his, you know, typical Trudeau cool face. He, he's a he's a cool guy. All right, in his drama face. His drama. He coolly. Face. All right, I'll go with it. All right, it makes sense. I had to clarify, Chris. Chris did this. Why part. not? Uh, Justin Trudeau coolly faced the finance committee for three grueling hours of testimony. Uh, of his and his family's involvement in the We Charity scandal, the PM says he didn't know anything about the decision to give a sole source deal to administer $912 million student grant program to We until the matter was set to come before his cabinet in early May. I first learned that We Charity was being proposed to deliver the program on May 8th. Until that date, I had not spoken at all with my staff about We Charity. In fact, as of May 8th, my expectation was still that a supercharged version of the Canada Service Corps would likely deliver the program. From my perspective, we charity hadn't come up. This is where he gets so disingenuous in the way he speaks that nobody buys it. It's it's so contrived and, and oh, it's terrible. Uh, he also said the latest of the high-profile witnesses asked to come before the uh, he is the latest of the high-profile witnesses to come before House of Commons Finance Committee explain why they thought it was a good idea to give controversial charities sole source deal to run a student program despite the fact that they're basically family. I made that part up, but you get my point. He laid it out to those ties in his testimony. When Cabinet approved the CSSG, obviously I knew that I had spoken at various We Charity events. I'd never been paid to do so. I was also aware that my wife had an unpaid role as a We Charity ambassador and ally. I knew she appeared at We Charity events and that when she traveled to get to an event, We Charity covered her related expenses. I also knew that Sophie had recently launched a podcast on mental wellness in conjunction with We Charity. The ethics commissioner had approved this role, including We Charity covering her expenses. I also knew that my brother and mother had worked with We Charity as well with other, as with other organizations. However, I did not know how much work either of them had done with We Charity or how much they'd been paid. These were things that I would only learn after the program launched publicly. Okay. As a guy who goes into businesses and teaches uh, people how to communicate and how to express themselves and find clarity in your own, in your own world. Like that, that's, that's my love, right? Like this part is the, in the trenches of the things I love, but that's what I love. And I promise you 100%, there was a writer who wrote that talking point that specifically said that Sophie had been, uh, is doing a podcast for we, and they specifically put in there a mental wellness podcast and put the topic on it specifically hoping that nobody would ever go after it because then they can say, how dare you 
say that it's inappropriate to do a podcast about mental wellness in today's world. Because that is what good writing does. And it's very right there in incredibly contrived form. And it's mind blowing. 877-399-9898. Let's go to uh, London. Say hi to Todd. Hey, Todd. Hey. Um, Justin Trudeau doesn't tell the truth. He's not always honest. And also, I'm tired of hearing about it too, because I hear it on the morning show as well about about Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Do you feel disappointed in all this, Todd? Hmm? Do you feel disappointed in all this or you just, uh, which way? Because John had said that he felt, you know, he was Mm -hmm. kind of sick of it all, but at the same time he was so disappointed because to me that means that we feel like we're disempowered in this. Like we've got nothing we can do. I feel, I feel as great as like, him. I feel disappointed as well. Thanks for the call, Todd. Appreciate your insight. Um, We take that stuff to heart. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, 877-399-9898. Your calls are welcome. Just so you know, no texts tonight as we continue through our big lead here. Um, Trudeau went on during his testimony today. He insisted that We Charity did not receive a preferential treatment over other organizations. Sometimes recusing oneself can be the right thing to do, even if it's not required. Here, my mother's connection to We Charity and the other connections in my family could lead some people to wonder whether those connections had played some role in the decision to select We Charity. That, of course, was not the case. We Charity received no preferential treatment, not from me, not from anyone else. The public service recommended We Charity, and I did absolutely nothing to influence that recommendation. Oh, God, I can't listen to that guy. Drives me nuts. When he speaks like a normal person, he's actually quite good. Um, this whole, I was going to do an impression of it, but that's just contrived and insulting. So I'm not even going to go there. Let's go to Clark in Didsbury. Hey, Clark. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks, um, Clark. How are you? Oh, I don't know. I'm just sitting here listening to con men that uh, call themselves prime ministers and politicians. Oh, God. <laughs> well, they're yeah. grifters. You know, it's okay. Here, here's my view. The ship of Canada is without a rudder. We have an incompetent captain, and the crew are stuffing their pockets with whatever they can get and all of their friends to bail out should they get uh, booted out of office. Yeah, that's a very good example. I think it's kind of like a pirate ship. I imagine everyone's filling their pockets with the golden booty. But otherwise, you know, uh, the comment, you know, did you want to buy a nice new bridge over uh, the St. Lawrence? I'm sure uh, Mr. Trudeau would sell it to you quite nicely. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, yeah, we're talking... Uh, <clears throat> smooth talkers, clean talkers like that. Yeah, okay, nice and accomplished. But when you don't look at it and you just listen, and yes, it's all very contrived, all very scripted. And anytime somebody tries to take them off script, they just fall back. So no mm-hmm. information is passed. Of course, nobody wants us in an attack ad. And what we're stuck with is basically nothing. So well, an, you know, another blind spot and another apology. I mean, when you're leading a country at this point, I mean, I'm not, I'm saying that anybody doesn't find their blind spots for their whole life, but you think you would have spent a little time looking into that before you got into federal politics. Well, he's escalating. You know, we had uh, uh, SNC, you know, maybe yeah. that would have been, you know, a hundred million dollar fine, maybe. Uh, and um, now you have 
you know, the we, you have the Aga Khan, you know, uh, and how many women are you going to throw under the bus? Yeah. You know, we, we had Ray Bold, we had Phil Pot. Uh, now it looks like uh, uh, Katie Telford and uh, the Minister Jagger is going to get thrown under the bus. And well, that's the truth. I mean, that's who I think is going to pay the price for this. I don't, I'm not an expert, but I would say that's well, going to pay the price for this. Well, no, it's uh, so now we no longer have transparency. We no longer have inclusiveness, nor is he a feminist, except, you know, maybe an anti-feminist. And it's all about him. And thank, I'll let it go. Thank you for the you know, call, Clark. I just, uh, yeah, I, uh, it, it's hard. To, it's a hard pill to swallow. I, I can't uh, dispute. I know that I want to dispute anything that you said, Clark. I think it's very direct and poignant. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Have a nice one. Here's Ottawa's base, Ottawa-based political science, David Mosscrop, with his thoughts. Well, you know, th- this whole scandal is going to take a long time to unpack, including getting to the nature of what exactly it is. The recusal thing, I think, is a bit of a canard because the clerk of the Privy Council, when he went to committee, said the PM and the finance minister can't recuse themselves from this. It's $912 million of taxpayer money. They can't recuse themselves. It's their job. We live in a, a country in which we're, we're run on cabinet governance. Uh, the, the cabinet is responsible for these decisions. Ms. Telford, at her testimony, pretty much said, well, the, pro- the same decision probably would have been made anyway. So um, the recusal is a total canard, but the government, or the prime minister and the finance minister are nonetheless sorry that they didn't. So I don't understand the that. I think it's, it's a total uh, red herring, and it's actually distracting us from getting to the, the heart of this matter, because I don't think they could have recused themselves, and I don't understand why they're sorry for not doing something they couldn't do. Uh, just to be clear, if you don't know what a canard is, because I had to double check it, because I know a canard as being the small winglet that's on the front of airplanes. Uh, so I did double check it just to be uh, thorough because Mosscroft was talking about it. It's an unfounded rumor or story by definition. There we go. We learned something new in our word vocab tonight. David Mosscroft says the bottom line is the decision to pick We Charity wasn't blocked by the ingrained governmental mechanisms. Checks and balances levers failed. My, my initial sense is that um, nobody in their haste, in their fatigue, um, in their entitlement, perhaps in their arrogance, said this is going to look not just bad, but so bad that we may not be able to go through with it. That no one at any point said it doesn't pass the smell test. And in fact, it's so bad that we've got to toss it in the bin. And so <clears throat> it, it's stunning to me that no one did that work. And, and we ought to know why. I mean, there, that, that's a structural problem. No one flags this as unacceptable. And it's also a structural problem if no one else can do that job. If in a country of 36 or 38 million people, there's only one organization, and that includes the state, that can deliver this and it's we, then that's a scandal right there. 877-399-9898. Your calls in Whitby, Ontario. Let's say hi to Bill. Hey, Bill. Hey, how goes it tonight? Oh, hanging in there, buddy. It's almost the weekend. Feels all right. Yeah, for sure. You know, I feel like I'm in school again. I'm in a class, and I'm watching a kid, the cute, privileged kid, throw everybody under the bus for what they did wrong. This is the second time he's done this. And then, oh, oh you know what? When I get caught doing it, I get caught. You know what? I'm going to go away for two weeks now. Yeah. I, I got to go, go away. On vacation. But, you know, this, this man is dealing with billions, hundreds of billions of dollars he's given away in the last four months. And for some reason, between all of them, just going back to the famous words he said about sunny ways when he first came into power, 
The biggest problem that this group has is they are full of themselves. They think they absolutely do nothing wrong. They, they are so, they have blinders on. Their blank doesn't stink. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. We introduced you yesterday to Chris Sheets from Kissing Country in Edmonton driving a Zamboni, a very ugly Zamboni. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue yeah. and orange. And, um, you know, and actually, Chris would have been um, back to Edmonton on his Zamboni drive sooner if he didn't have to stop at all the golf courses on the way to say hi to all the <laughs> make tea times for the Oilers um, coming up. What would be? That's funny. What would it be if it weren't for some uh, hockey rivalry? Uh, that's for sure. Hey, well, Chris. Yeah, you know, Shane, you're a you're a Flames fan, and I can tell you that um, there was parts of that thing that were were flaming because it was about 33 degrees when I was going down the road, and so my behind, after sitting for that many hours, certainly was hot, yeah. um, and, and I was proudly wearing my oiler jersey the whole time. And I don't know if you noticed this, but or know this, but 33 degrees. Is you know the sun is not really uh, hockey jersey weather. No, I yeah, I mean, <laughs> as expensive as they are, the sleeves might have come off that real quick. Um, <laughs> for me, just saying, you can yeah. still be an Oilers fan and be sleeveless. <laughs> Most are. So you went from Calgary to um, up to Edmonton. <laughs> I just got your joke. So yeah. funny. Uh, you went from Calgary yeah. up to Edmonton and uh, drove the Zamboni the whole way. Um, you made it to the food bank. Tell us what it was about for those who don't know, and how did it finish? Okay. Well, I mean, like every other community in in, in Canada, I mean, the food banks are in dire need right now because, of course, uh, of what's going on with COVID and, and, and people with their uncertain uh, job situations and everything else that's changed in their lives. I mean, now more than ever. So um, here in Edmonton, we've got this huge heritage festival. Hundreds of thousands of people go every year on the August long weekend, and it's their biggest uh, collection uh, time of the year. And they're not having it this year because of COVID. So um, I, I thought, well, I've always wanted to drive a Zamboni 342 kilometers just for fun. <laughs> but let's 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 make it let's make let's give it a purpose. Um, you got to give these things a purpose, otherwise, you know, you look like you're completely insane. So that's what we did, and uh, and, and it worked out well. I mean, people are still, still continuing to donate, and they can continue to donate, and the, the money is, is is starting to roll in, which is exciting. So where? Well, since you brought it up, where where do they go donate, Chris? Uh, they go to uh, our website. Uh, that's uh, c i s n kissin fm.com cisnfm.com you can also google kiss and country but if you go there it's right on the, the, the home page it's uh, the food bank drive to the cup with again the stanley cup being awarded in edmonton this year as part of the hub city situation so that's where the the name came from and, and that's what we're doing and, and you know we got thousands of dollars from out of town people that are you know that that, that uh, aren't going to to be able to take advantage of of uh, the food bank, but they're, they're given to others, which is pretty incredible. What's one highlight, Chris, from the trip that surprised you the most? Is there, there must be something that stands out in your mind or is it just such a long list? You know, it's just, I think it's just the reaction of people on the highways and roads and, and uh, just, just the reaction. I mean, every time I'd be getting kind of down and you're, you're just kind of like, Oh my gosh, here we go. 16 kilometers an hour. That's all I could travel. And then all of a sudden somebody would just have this giant smile on their face and honk their horn and smile. Like we used to, we used to smile like that before COVID. You remember those times? Yeah, it's true though. It really is true. Like, like life seemed to be so much more simple. We weren't worried about 
second waves and and uh, you know you know contacting anything and our, our, our livelihoods or what the future was like and so I think it gave I felt like certainly myself and I think a lot of other people it just gave you a chance to just feel normal again which I don't think driving a Zamboni from Calgary to Edmonton is normal don't get me In wrong but it just you know it, yeah yeah it was you know even going through some of the communities like a community that uh that well, i moved with my wife to devon it's just uh outside of town and, and uh you know we went down main street and it was like a small parade was there like you know they didn't have a parade there this year <laughs> and we kind of had a silly one you know as, as, as people knew we were coming to town they kind of organized socially distanced of course but uh but they were they, they were greeting us and it reminded me of going in a parade like it was just it was it was amazing so good and just for the sake of coming full circle uh the devon lions campground was also amazing and the golf course there uh, is very suited for your Oilers uh, in a few weeks. Uh, I, oh, yeah, there you go. You tied her, tied her all in, my friend. <laughs> I do want to say the Millet Lions Club uh, golf, uh, uh, campground is is not as picturesque because it's not along the River Valley, but they let us stay for free last night. They were just like, you don't need to pay it. Like we, we everybody from from the campsites we got to stay at to propane to uh, to insurance for the Zamboni uh, to to absolutely everything was covered by somebody just to make it happen. Like I had fourteen different companies come together to to make this thing happen, and that's just that's the kind of thing that you you get in a community. That's that's what makes Edmonton so special in my mind. Well, I will salute you for your hard work and commitment to pulling pulling it together, making it happen for sticking it out, for doing it after you crashed on your bike and scraped your face, um, you know, for having the, you know, the courage to, to ride that thing in the, in the sunshine. And also not to mention for, you know, being able to wear that Jersey hot enough as it is, but I ugly as it is. Coming. I knew I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. I, yeah. You know, it, it just, he, he, you always gotta, you always gotta follow it up with something like that. I appreciate it. We're going to have some fun in the playoffs, my friend. I, I, uh, I I want Calgary to win in the first round because I don't want you guys to get the first round draft choice. Right. What, well, no, we no, don't worry, buddy. That knows. goes to Edmonton every year. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew, and I set you up for another. You did one. set it up. See, they don't call that the first round pick anymore. <laughs> they just call it Edmonton's pick. All right. Well, you know what? All jokes aside, as a Calgarian, buddy, you set a great example for Albertans all over the place, and I appreciate that. I think as a Canadian, you set great examples for all of the uh, the warring cities between, you know, Toronto and Ottawa and, you know, Winnipeg and anybody in Western Canada, you know, Vancouver, Calgary, you name it, so... It wasn't. It wasn't the Battle of Alberta. It was the Battle for Alberta, and I could really feel it when I was on the road. Oh, that's very cool. Chris Sheets from Kissing Country Morning Show in Edmonton. Thank you, sir. And uh, when uh, when the Flames aren't playing, I will cheer for the Oilers for <laughs> for one play. Okay, that's all. I and, and if if the Flames ever play the Leafs, I promise I'm cheering for the Flames. There you go. Well, <laughs> hey, if the Flames lose, I'll uh, I'll be your sidekick. If the Flames lose out, okay. I'll give you that. Sounds good. All right, brother. Thanks so much, Chris. (laughs) Thank you. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Very interesting story, as we promised to not do all things Trudeau tonight. Um, Two women have broken the world record for the fastest time circumnavigating the globe on a bicycle. It's a tandem bicycle, so they're working together, but literally making their way around the world. It's kind of a mind-blowing feat. Kat Dixon's 54. Raz Marsden's 55, and they did it in 263 days. Now, they beat the previous world record, by, uh, which was 281 days. 
and they set out from Oxford last June, finishing in March, shortly before the coronavirus lockdown, uh, which is lucky. Can you imagine after all that work? My goodness, uh, if they had to shut it down for COVID. Their application has been approved by the Guinness World Record just yesterday, and Sir Christopher Gilbert caught up with them and asked if it was hard to prove to the organization that they were record beaters. They clearly didn't believe us because we had to do an <laughs> awful lot. We, um, every single receipt we had to scan and send in. Uh, we kept and scanned and sent. Every, um, we took, I took photographs every day. Um, not every day, but most days, video uh, clips. We had um, a Strava record, a Wahoo record, and a GPS tracker, spotter. Um, and we, and we also had a yeah, logbook. Yeah. So yeah. everywhere we stopped or saw anybody of any interest, they had to sign our book as yeah. well. So all the accommodation or that if we stayed anywhere like a campsite or anywhere it was, you know, then, uh, you know, if we're wild camping, obviously we couldn't, but, you know, somebody had signed the book to say that we'd, we'd been there. And then we, you know, we had to um, submit it all in the end. So they, got, and you also have to, you know, sort of, show the electronic route so you know it's quite stringent and quite rightly really you know you've got to prove that you've done what you said you've done so if we had wanted to fake it it would have been harder to fake than actually it was easier just cycling actually I think. <laughs> getting it done there's no way you could fake that really but we could have tried but um yeah hard work i think was there any anxiety at all during the trip to um, make sure that these things go right to prove it to guinness because i mean if i go for a, a day hike for a few hours i'm anxious that my strava is gonna cut out or not record it i mean over yeah. several months a year it must be um it must be a little bit tense for you sometimes. We had a charging re regime with our Strava and our phones. And yeah, our we had Wahoos. We had a few Wahoo meltdowns, didn't mm. we? particularly when it got really hot. So, um, you know, it was sort of 45 plus uh, degrees heat sometimes in um, in Australia. And, they, you know, they don't really don't like that. <laughs> uh, we uh, we stopped one day and put our, we stopped for a, um, a drink and we put, while we were waiting, we put our Wahoos in the freezer. <laughs> Just to cool them down. Cool them down. They were really steaming hot, yeah. When when were you in Australia? What months? So we got there um, sort of November. Um, so we were there for the bushfires. Yeah. So, um, but we had to change our route because we'd planned originally to go. So we were going from Perth to Brisbane and we'd planned to go um, to Sydney and then up the coast and um, it was just on fire. So that whole area was on fire. So we ended up having to go inland um, through an area of drought because, you know, there wasn't anything to burn really. It hadn't rained for three years in this area and, um, you know, to get up to get up to Brisbane. And the, the, we did see the smoke, you know, because obviously when the, if the wind shifted, you know, you, there was one day in particular when we had a lot of heavy smoke, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. We had a fire uh, on the Nullarbor as well, which is the desert. It's a big stretch of desert between sort of um, Perth and, and Adelaide. And um, fortunately, that one got under control fairly quickly and uh, we were able to kind of continue going. But after we... After we'd uh, been across the Nullarbor, it did, you know, it did start burning. And if we'd have been a few weeks later, we probably wouldn't have got across because, uh, you know, it was on fire for weeks after that. Did you come across a road train? Because those things are terrifying. 
They yeah, are big. Loads. They are really big. There's about five five trucks on the back, isn't there? Yeah, they just it's steam through. And yeah. we we um we had um we had a massive headwind going across Australia. I mean, practically for the whole of Australia, it was a mm. it was a headwind, and and that you'd get a massive sort of backrush of wind, you know, with the road trains, and so you'd have to. I'm, I'm the pilot, and I was literally, you know, clinging onto the bike. You know, to make sure it didn't sort of wobble with these things going past. What makes you guys want to um, jump on a bike together and cycle around the world? Um, well, we met from my Facebook page. We met about three years ago. Yeah, yeah. We we met actually doing um we met doing a charity cycle ride um from London to Paris for a motor neuron disease association, and mm. um, we um. You know, we started cycling together and, you know, we started doing, you know, some quite challenging events. We did like a stage of the Tour de France, something called the Attack Tour. And we did, you know, some of the classics, you know, some of the classics like Liège, Bastogne Liège and various other. Um, and and I guess we, you know, we I'd always wanted to cycle around the world. And, um, you know, we sort of said, oh, God, that'd be amazing. And and then it kind of morphed into, well, why don't we do it? Why not on a tandem? And then why not try and break the world record? So, um, you know, and it just sort of happened really from there. Yeah. We found ourselves sort of on the bike at the start line and off we went, really. Did you did you put a lot of planning into it? Because often when I interview people who have done amazing feats like this, like cycle around the world or run from one part of the UK to the other end of the UK they they've told me that they put absolutely no planning into it well fortunately we're mature and sensible people <laughs> as a rule <laughs> we had we had to plan a bit because I had to um take a career break yeah and um Kat had to give up her job yes yeah, so I left my job I mean I think I think in insofar as I mean there were certain things we had to plan for so for example with Guinness you have to submit the route in advance so we had to you know, we had to have approval of the route that we were going to follow. So we had to obviously plan plan that. What we didn't do, you know, people kind of expected us to be planning sort of day to day, you know, where will you be in at day 74? We didn't do no. that. We, we planned a day, you know, a day ahead, really. Um, when we're, But we knew broadly where we were going. Um, but, you know, we, we had to sort of think, well, we're here and we were riding about 80 to 100 miles a day. So we would then think, well, when's where's the next? place where we can get food and you know a campsite or whatever it is and um you know that's 80 plus miles away and that's how we did the the planning but i mean obviously we needed to build the bike and we needed equipment with us so we had to plan you know we had to plan that <laughs> so um and we you know we're reasonably fit cyclists when we set off as well so you know but but you know you're not we did a, a bit but we we certainly didn't do you know sort of details spreadsheet you know with every no you know this second will be here and <laughs> you know it wasn't like that it doesn't really work like that to be honest you can't you can't really plan like that as well either yeah. when you're going to some of the most remote places of the world as well yeah. so I, I want to do some quick fire questions but just before i jump into that can you just quickly outline what route did you take what was your what countries did you go through so um 25 so, yeah so about 25 countries i wouldn't name them all because some of them were quite small when we went through them but basically we, we set up from some oh, twice yeah we, we went through from oxford we went across france um into italy um then through slovenia through down croatian coast through bosnia um through montenegro macedonia um albania 
um, then into Greece, then across Greece um, to Turkey, across Turkey into Georgia. And then from Georgia, we flew to India. And then we went from Mumbai to Calcutta, but around the coast of India. And then we went into Myanmar. And from Myanmar, we went to Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. Then we uh, flew to Perth in Australia, went across Australia, so Perth to Brisbane. Then we went to New Zealand and we went from um, Wellington to Auckland. And then from from, uh, New Zealand, we went to uh, the States, we went from San Francisco down the coast across to Miami. And then we went to Morocco um, and then Spain, France and back. Sounds awful. (laughs) It was absolutely wonderful. For this um, uh, webinar we've just been doing, we have just been looking at the photographs because we were trying to just work out this, and it's just all of the pictures and there is too much choice and it's too fantastic. And too many stories to yeah, tell, really. Yeah, yeah. it was choosing them was hard. I was about to say, I, I do want to do some just very quick fire questions and it's, it's, sure. it's going to be impossible because I guarantee that every question is going to be a 10-minute story behind it. Um, we'll do it quick, quick fire. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll just do it real quick. So, okay. Uh, and in your opinion, uh, you can have different opinions, of course. But uh, what, what was your favorite country? The best country? No, I've stumbled at the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think India. Uh, Myanmar. What was the best meal? The best food? Greece. Uh, yeah, possibly Greece. Some, some, some in Turkey was nice. Most challenging moment. We broke down in the Nullarbor seven hours. Yeah, that was the most challenging. It wasn't a moment. It was a. It was yeah. Hours. It was a very long, long moment. A seven-hour moment. Yeah. Of, um, to, yeah. Over two days because we had to kind of camp in the bush. It was just... four to forty-five degree heat, covered in flies, covered in sand, hot. Trying horrible. to fix the bike, knowing that if we went backwards, it would be we'd, it would be four days. Yeah, <laughs> but we did it. Um, yeah. What about what about like the the most standout moment either for like scenery or I can't believe I'm here like the moment that when you think back onto it it kind of sticks out in your head. The thing that jumped out is when we were we coming into Pisa and I didn't know what to expect and we literally turned a corner and there was the Leaning Tower of Pisa and that was quite awesome because it just stuck up and mm. it was wonky and I didn't expect to see that when when we actually saw it I was so excited about that mm. but um Venice going yeah there's yeah. so many Dubrovnik there's so many lovely things yeah I mean I think first day for me in India when um we we set off early um gear cable snapped four miles in and then we ended up riding through Mumbai in rush hour and then seeing India gate you know the the big sort of entrance to to India and uh you know that that was that was a pretty amazing moment. Coolest animal you saw? Oh, um, a camel. The coolest. Yeah. I think the coolest we saw was we were in Macedonia, and we'd done a massive, oh, massive yeah. hill climb. And there's a yeah. really, really rare lynx that lives in the in yeah. the forest. Walked across, and it, and it well, it kind of ran across in, in front of us. And we thought, wow, that's one of those lynx. And there's probably only a, a couple of hundred in the in the world. That's yeah. so great. A lynx is that's that's really special <laughs> to see a lynx. Um, very quickly, did, did you like Wellington? That's my hometown. Yeah, I loved Wellington. Yeah. Yeah. I love we love Wellington. How hilly is Wellington? Very hilly. <laughs> very hilly. Yeah. Well, we went over the Crown Range actually, so we we uh, rode over the Crown Range. Well, well, interesting story about Wellington is that across from the harbour from Wellington is a suburban area called um, Lower Hutt, which is where I actually grew up. It's a I valley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I grew up, and. 
So Loaha originally was meant to be like kind of like a communist well, commune is meant to be a perfect grid, a perfect square with like a church in the middle and a cemetery in each corner and stuff, right? But when they got there, it was all swamp. So they had to literally take the design and just copy and paste it over into Wellington. And with all the hills over there, the whole thing just went yeah, yeah. sideways. So every street does a, a hairpin turn about six or seven times. So, yeah. Uh, fun for cycling, I imagine. So... Chris, let me ask you a question about this story because it's it's really quite uh, cool. Uh, not only that um, you connected with these these ladies who have broken the record, um, but you know that's a there's the, there's there's a big drive there. There's got to be something that that you're going for. I mean, I, I can't imagine. You know what I'm afraid of? The first thing that goes in my mind, which is really weird, and maybe it just says something about my personality. I'd be afraid that the person would bail on me because it's a tandem bike. Just run off. Yeah, be like, you know what? I'm tapping out. I'm out. I've had enough. Well, no, there's got to be part of it, right? I mean, I, I did ask them what, what was the most, you know, the low point. I didn't include this in the tape, but um, and they said being hungry, just you mm. know, being hungry. So I, I can honestly imagine that. Uh, yeah, halfway through, you know, you're in the middle of the Australian desert. You get a bit peckish. There's nothing around, and you know, you're, you're eyeing up your bike, mate. That will probably be. My worst fear is, you know, you get a, <laughs> you get a desert island situation. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, so what's your connection to this? How did this come about? Okay. So these two uh, lovely ladies were raising money for motor neuron disease. And uh, every time I see that, I kind of, I, I kind of, you know, come to attention a little bit. I kind of, my eyes prick up because uh, we were talking about our dads last night. And uh, my dad had the cause of his passing was motor neuron disease. Um, it's not really a very talked about thing still. There's a lot of stigma around it, a lot of, uh, mystery around it. So I, um, yeah, I what, thought, well, it's really what's cool. What's it called? It's motor neuron disease? Yeah. It's also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, which oh, is, okay. um, yep. how it might be, uh, better known, uh, here in North America. So it's, um, it's effectively when, when the, the neurons in your brain that, um, govern your voluntary muscles so really your ability to move start dying so you step stop being able to move from your extremities uh going inwards until you can't speak your vocal cords and your lungs uh finally mm. so it's it's not a very pleasant disease um so yeah but it's actually surprisingly common but i saw they're raising money for it so i wanted to reach out and say hey good job guys Thanks. Uh, yeah. So the next segment is uh, we're going to talk a little bit about motor neuron disease. Uh, and yeah, I pretty much just asked uh, them, you know, like, why did you why did you decide to raise money for this illness? I started and have run the motor neuron disease um, care center and research center in Oxford for the last 18 years now. So I'm um, now, now a nurse consultant. So I've known many, many families from, you know, the day of their diagnosis, really, all the way all the way through and know their journey and know how hard it is and um, actually and how much money we need for research and care. And um, yeah, so we did that. But also while we were cycling, the MND community were absolutely amazing, um, not just my patients, not the patients that come to us but all over the country because there's a small network of um, warriors and, you know, not warriors, warrior, like in fighting warriors. But, you know, they're really active MND 
guys and they're on online and every day they were commenting and supporting and encouraging us so it's an amazing community mm. it was a real privilege to ride for them yeah and um when when you're raising um the funds what what is the main need in terms of uh i guess understanding motor neuron disease is it raising awareness is it finding treatments is it therapy is it support for the patients it's a combination i think i think it's less um people don't understand the general public don't understand motor neuron disease unless they're touched by it in some way and then they really know about it and then they become quite expert actually because they have to deal with the everyday changing situations so they are quite extraordinary when they when they're doing that i think so it's less the awareness um, and there are, you know, a few people, few famous people who are doing an amazing job at raising awareness. But I don't think money would help that. I think it's, I think it's the local branches do the most amazing stuff, and they provide small pieces of equipment that other people couldn't afford, um, or you know, and they need yesterday, and it's there, and it's the immediateness of everything, and um, and also the research, and I think. From England's point of view, with changing all sorts, um, research money is harder to find at the moment um, from Europe. And I think that's going to have a big impact. And so if we can help a little bit towards an element of that, I think we can make a big impact because they are doing some unbelievably fantastic stuff, particularly in the genetics um, mm. and the genetic research. That's coming along, you know, leaps and bounds compared to, uh, you know, even a few years ago. Mm. And I think that's where they need money, really. Mm. It'd be great to think that, you know, we just sort of contributed to, you know, what feel it feels just like on the on the edge of some big breakthroughs, really, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So, so don't get me started because I'll rant all day. No, I mean, about, I, 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 hope, I hope so because. Um, you know, in my, my experience of it, um, when my dad told me he had uh, motor neuron disease, well, they thought it was motor neuron disease, I was like, well, what, what the hell is that? Yeah, you know, I, yeah. No, I'd never heard of it before. And, uh, and he was like, well, I could live for one month or I could live for 11 years. Uh, turned out to be five months, which in the end is actually a blessing because it's, it's not pleasant um, for anybody involved. No. And the amount, I think you're right, the amount that I learned from seeing it and witnessing it and uh, can only imagining what, what the person who is experiencing it is going through. It's encouraging to hear that there might be signs of some kind of breakthrough in understanding the disease because, um, you know, there's, it's, it's for, for maybe not for, so much for yourself, but even for me who's, who's lived alongside it, is I don't really know anything. No, mm. and I think we do a lot of education and education for families. I mean, motor neuron disease, the majority, more than 90% is sporadic, just happens, and we just don't know why. And it's invariably the fitter, well, healthy, slender, slim, active people. And then there is a tiny percentage of people, and it's, it's familial, but the family will know very powerfully because their granddad, mother's uncle, you know, there's a family link and and they're being able the research that's kind of because the sporadic stuff just happens so it's hard to know how to stop that in a person but for the um, familial type the genes and tweaking the genes so they don't get it is um is getting closer we've been chatting for 25 minutes and i do want to let you guys go but i i just if there was one thing i i want to ask this about the birth of trip and the disease but like if there's 
One thing about motor neuron disease that you want people to understand that people might not know, what would it be? Um, and following that, is there anything that you guys would like to add about the whole experience? So, um, yeah, one thing about motor neuron disease and maybe one thing you would like to add about your um, around the world Guinness, Guinness World Record. I think motor neuron disease, and you know, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you, but I think it's not just a personal disease. I think it affects the entire family. I think, and their friends and their extended family. And I think everybody struggles with it. It's not just one person, it's it's everybody. And I think uh, you don't really realize the impact that that disease has on people and the burden. And, the, you know, there's so much um, for the family that have to um, care and look after and see the other person changing, not only, the, you know, the person changing. So I think the thing is that it's everybody is affected by MND and touched and what would you like to learn? What? In terms of, um, I suppose, in terms of the, the the right, then I think the message is about following your dreams. And, uh, you know, if there's something that you really want to do and, um, you know, no matter how sort of mad or whatever it, it seems, then, you know, go for it and and, and enjoy it. And, um, you know, just, just sort of really live, try and live in the moment and enjoy every second. And, and we did, and it was, it was just a fantastic experience and, um, and we loved every minute of it and, you know, we're, and we've broken the world record and, you know, we're the fastest, yeah. And we're the fastest ever, you know, to, and uh, we broke the men's record by sort of 17 days. And, you know, we're really, really proud of that, but it was, you know, it was just sort of having that, that belief and, and just yeah. following our dreams. And, and I think, yeah. You're being very polite, and you haven't said this, but we are older, and you know, <laughs> than I didn't notice, honestly. <laughs> but we are, and I think lots of the lots of the well, the guys who set it initially were in their early twenties, you know, and I think um, it's a message for kind of old, slightly older women whose children, and you know, they've had their life. The children are often in doing independent stuff or not had children, but you can just live and do it any any age really. Just don't hold back. Yeah, just yeah, just follow your dreams. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.